What do you take me for? Of course I know what I'm getting into. I'm in a parallel universe, fighting an alternate version of myself, alongside a group of parahuman mercenaries who want me to help a wrongly accused ma Majestics of... Do you ever get halfway through a sentence and find yourself unable to believe that you're actually saying it? Brian Braddock, Captain Britain. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our residents is to lay down a fundamental understanding of a geeky concept for a newcomer before sending them out onto their wild world of nerdery. Our subject this time around is curious about magic in the Marvel Universe. Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? The Black Knight and Captain Britain. Two physicists who get way too involved in magic shit. A few things before we started, because I have maybe made some major tactical blunders that I realized <laughs> once I started prepping for this episode. One, we went, these characters don't need their own episode. They both absolutely needed their own episode. <laughs> these two characters are wild. Insane. Uh, Captain Britain might be one of the most retconned characters, like, I've ever seen, mm. which means there's a whole lot of, so this happens, but you, mm, ah, and I made a bet with myself that I was going to do less notes in the hopes of being a little more freeform. Mm. And this was not the right characters to do that one with. So, Tyler, my editing buddy, I sincerely apologize for <laughs> the possible magic you're going to have to do here. Before we get started, there's some behind-the-scenes things that I need to explain. Do you know what a comic imprint means? No. Okay. So an imprint is a specific, like, collection of comics okay. published under a certain theme. For example, Vertigo was an imprint of DC, and it's where Vertigo was where they published their serious, their adult stuff, their stuff that didn't connect to the DC universe proper for the okay. most part. Um, it, it just is a way to categorize comic books. Imprint and it also kind of... <clears throat> It keeps your brand clean. You'll see they're they're not called imprints, but you'll see movie studios do this. Um, Spinoffs and stuff. Touchstone. Uh, I don't think Touchstone exists anymore, but Touchstone was 100% owned by Disney. Mm -hmm. But if Disney had a property that was a little Super bit not too good for Disney, <laughs> a little bit too dark for the Disney line, but they still wanted to put out there, mm -hmm. they'd move it over to Touchstone. A lot of people don't remember the original VHS release of The Nightmare Before Christmas was a Touchstone release. And not a Disney one. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, and there might other also be other reasons it happens. I'm going to tell you about two imprints because they will be... One's a really major part of this and the other one is just going to come up. So first is what is called Marvel UK. Marvel really wanted to get into the British comic scene and Britain has this amazing unique comics scene that looks unlike anywhere else in the world mm. to the point that Americans just routinely steal British writers uh, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, uh, more modern people like um, 
Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, uh, Paul Cornell, who wrote our Today's Book, mm. did a lot of this. Uh, big name artists come from this. Marvel wanted in on that, but part of the problem they were having is that they publish pretty differently in Britain. They do, instead of monthly books, mostly weekly books. So they created Marvel UK to set up uh, and kind of cut up old reprints of Marvel books into whatever they needed. So instead of like 30 pages in a single story, they would have anthology books. So it's like 10 pages of Hulk, 10 pages of Spider-Man, 10 pages of whatever. Mm. Somewhere in the 70s, they decided to start making unique to Britain, but still in the Marvel Universe stories. Okay. Captain Britain was the first creation of this. Black Knight was used and appeared in like 60 issues He's had like 10 issues total of independent books in America. Lots of Avengers appearances and stuff, but he's not a, but he was there forever. Mm. A lot of the characters in today's readings, Captain Britain and the MI-13, especially in the last part, were Marvel UK specific title characters. The other one that's going to come up in the Black Knight story is at one point in the 90s, there was a up-and-coming comic book publisher called Malibu that released a comics line they called the Ultraverse. It was their own little superhero universe. Marvel bought them and briefly ran it as like an imprint of Marvel, as its own little separate universe, but they inserted a couple of Marvel characters into it. Okay. And then they ran it into the ground, took the... Like, they bought it because they wanted the, like coloring techniques they were using or something. Okay. Ran it into the ground and just haven't touched it since. Okay. But I need to explain that so when I'm randomly like, well, so-and-so appears in the Ultraverse, you understand vaguely what I am talking about. Got it. Thank you. Now, these two characters, and I know I'm always like, oh, I love these characters, because it's me. But these two fit into the kind of spot that has the like biggest part of my heart for comic books. I mean, Spider-Man, I love him till the day he is, is forever. Well done, Zach. Very well stated there. <laughs> uh, but Spider-Man can hold his, you know, five books at a time. There's so much Spider-Man. I really love the characters who maybe don't hold their own book a lot, but will appear here and there, and they can do really interesting things because you don't have to wildly change the format of five books if you make a huge change to the character story. Mm. If you kill Captain Britain, which happens a lot, a lot, you don't have to rewrite six books. Uh, so it lets characters really grow and change in ways that they can't. In, you know, Spider-Man's case. It does mean this is going to be insane. And it is. So here we are. <laughs> I would prefer to start with the Black Knight here, but I will leave it up to you. Do you want to start with uh, Black Knight or Captain Britain? Let's start with Black Knight. Okay. Woo. Also, I should note here the white wild changes and stuff made the research for this really difficult. Because usually I'm like, I read the Wikipedia article. Mm. I read the whatever they call the Marvel Wikipedia article. I look up other very specific things I didn't understand. I find some comics. Things were, like, directly contradicting specific storylines here, like... One article says this happened, and so it's... But we'll get there. Cool. Now that I've complained muchly, as I said, both of these characters start out as physicists who get way too involved in Arthurian stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Dane Whitman is technically the third Black Knight in Marvel Comics, the, like in the publishing history. The first one we covered last time, uh, Sir Percy. Mm-hmm. The next one is a man named Nathan Garrett, who I don't think was originally created to be a descendant of Sir Percy. They connected that later because I went, hey, we have Black Knights. Nathan Garrett was a supervillain who worked for Baron Zemo's Masters of Evil. (laughs) It was, we need the Avengers to fight people and we don't have anyone strong enough to fight like one-on-one. So here's this like collection that they Mm. go up against. He has the sword, but he can't use it because at this point in time of the storyline, the sword only works for those of pure of heart. And he's a crook. Nathan Garrett is killed in battle with Iron Man, and he, but he manages to escape. And while he is dying, he escapes off to his castle mm. and meets his nephew, uh, Dane Whitman, reveals that he's the supervillain Black Knight and says, like, oh, you have to save the family legacy. Turns out I was kind of a You don't say. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered if... This was an allusion to a DC character named the Blue Beetle, who also received his powers from, I think, an uncle whose last name was Garrett. Okay. But I don't have any proof of that. Be funny, though. I love the Blue Beetle, too, so it'd be great. Dane Whitman gets a new Black Knight. It's still the Black Knight costume, but Mm. it's different enough to be unique to his own. Gets a winged horse named Valinor, and I think it's the same wing. No. I tell a lie. It is a different winged horse using the same technology that he used to make the first winged horse. Okay. Because you can do he that. used winged horses a lot. Like, why would you not if you could make Pegasi? I mean, that'd be awesome. That's true. <laughs> I can go to work every day in, in a, on a Pegasi. <laughs> that sounds really cold, too. The Avengers encounter the Black Knight. They pretty much immediately attack him because they go, oh, look, it's our villain, the Black Knight. And he's like, no, 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 no. Good Black Knight. Are you, though? (laughs) So to help convince them, he goes undercover in the Masters of Evil to help foil a plot. Um, I have not been able to find this issue, so I don't know if he's pretending to be his uncle still, Mm -hmm. or if he's like, well, my uncle died, I should help you out, uh, Mr. Nazi Baron Zemo guy. (laughs) Nothing questionable about what's happening here. Is he openly using the sword, though? I mean, I don't... I think at this point he is yet using the ebony blade. Okay, because then that would be a big tell that if his uncle I'm also, uh, uh, in fairness, I'm willing to bet Nathaniel Garrett wasn't going around saying, God, if only I could use this magic sword that my family won't let me use because I'm kind of a What do you think, Mr. Nazi Baron Zemo guy? He's like, yeah, that'd be cool. Why are you a like, oh, man. I'm like, man, I can use this magic sword because I'm not a <laughs> I just don't see how that would come up in like casual conversation. I don't because if everyone knows you have to be pure of heart, I don't know. After he helps take on the Masters of Evil, he is given provisional Avenger status, which basically means you're our buddy, but you're not really in a like in an emergency. We can call you, but you're not even really a reserve member at the time. It was kind of provisional, like, oh, I would kind of like to join you one day. All right, don't mess up. Mm. Reserve, you're not on the main team, but we can call you if, like, we need extra backup for whatever reason. And Mm. then main team, where the Avengers basically have to be your top priority. 
In a battle between the Grandmaster and Kang the Conqueror, a wild time traveler guy, the Avengers are kidnapped and forced to fight certain other opponents. I think it's the Squadron Supreme, but again, the stuff was not great here. Um, in one-on-one -on -one battles. Okay. And whoever won, it would be really bad for existence because you don't really want Kang or the Grandmaster to run things, mm. just as a rule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Black Knight gets brought along with, but because he's not an Avengers member, he has much more control. Mm -hmm. Like Kang was able to be like, Goliath, who was Hawkeye at the time, but Goliath, go fight Dr. Spectrum or whoever. And Goliath had to go off and do that. Black Knight got to interfere and mess up with stuff, and he was the Avengers were able to triumph because of this. Mm. At this point, Dane Whitman joins the Avengers. He officially inherits Castle Garrett. He travels to England. He meets Doctor Strange, who at the time is hanging out as Professor Stephen Sanders and wearing the kind of cool mask thing. Mm. Gets the Ebony Blade and fights off an extra-dimensional... Whatever. I don't know if it's an alien or... It's one of those, like, things. Named Tiburo. Awesome I name. don't know who Tiburo... I don't even have a picture for Tiburo, to be honest with you. At one point, the Olympian war god Ares steals the ebony blade to put out the Promethean flame to turn most of the Olympians into crystal. Okay. Black Knight helps stop that, you know... <laughs> Once he recovers his blade. Mm. You know, about half of that made sense, and I bet if we read the comics, the other half would as well. I'm sure these are... Here's the rule of comics, guys. <laughs> if I tried to explain, you know, the one we're reading today, Captain Britain and the MI-13 to you, in like a beat-by-beat -beat moment, you'd be like, what? <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> but standalone, it... Like, when you actually read it, it actually works pretty well. Joining the Defenders... The Black Knight ends up going up against the Enchantress, who is an Asgardian witch sorceress lady. He gets turned to stone at the end of the adventure mm -hmm. by getting kissed by the Enchantress. It's a it's a popular way of her doing it. I'm going to give you a kiss. I'm kind of a femme fatale. Who knew this would turn out badly, what with me being an evil sorceress? He Some gets, would even call me an Enchantress. <sighs> Amora. Like, her name is basically Immoral the Enchantress. Like, what are the odds that this went badly? Something none. While turned to stone, the defenders take... Uh, they take his basically now statue body mm -hmm. and keep an eye on it. The new defender member, Valkyrie, takes his sword, the Ebony Blade, and his horse, Valinor... And just starts using them as her gear for a while. Because you have a magic sword, why not use it? Okay. Yeah. Also, I like to think they put a statue in their meeting room. as like as decoration, because like they don't really have anywhere else it to put it. It does show up later on, and it's just kind of hanging out. What do you do with that? You just In put, fairness, like... A coat hanger? I'm going to put it in the attic and put a blanket over it. It's <laughs> actually somehow more insulting than, like, putting it in the trophy room. <laughs> like, just oh no. how much... Pigeon crap you can get on it. Somehow I don't see that as wildly better there, Professor T. <laughs> Just saying. If I had it. It goes in my driveway. <laughs> Somehow, Black Knight's consciousness is sent through time while his body is frozen. Okay. In, in uh, It's thrown back in time where he possesses Sir Garrington. 
who is another one of his ancestors who is the Black Knight in the 12th century during the Crusades. Somehow finding himself in the body of Sir Garrington in the Crusades kind of becomes a recurring theme for the Black Knight. It mm-hmm. happens to him a lot. The Crusades are brought up a lot when he's around. A lot. Yep. Thanks to a plot by Dormammu and Loki, the defenders learn that they can use an item called the Evil Eye, mm-hmm. or the Evil Eye of Avalon, which is even more poorly defined than things like the Wand of Watum. It's just, it's a weapon, mostly used by a dude named Prester John, mm. that is magic. What's it do? Magic. It's, it's an magic. evil eye. <laughs> Obviously. This actually leads to stealing the evil eye and not telling people why they're doing it. Mm. Leads to the first comic book crossover in history of like one issues in Avengers, the next in Defenders, mm. called the Avengers Defenders War, which was almost one of our read-throughs in this, but it doesn't make it because all the magic is kind of peripheral to it. Mm. Great book, though. In the nature of a 70s book. At the end of this... Whitman decides to stay in the 12th century. Turns out he really likes being a knight, what with calling himself the Black Knight. Who would have thought? He does take the ebony sword back from Valkyrie, but he does gift her Valinor. Mm. And she will go on to have a winged horse for most of the rest of time. It later just comes on that all Valkyries have Pegasi and just roll with it. But originally, it was Valinor. During this time... Merlin kind of appoints uh, Whitman as his as one of his champions Mm -hmm. and starts kind of just flinging him through time whenever he feels like it. There is a story that we will go into much heavier in the Captain Britain storyline where they first team up and go on an epic adventure together where Merlin is just like, I need you to help with Captain Britain come to the future, but don't worry, you'll still be whatever. I'll put you back at the end. They, in the middle of that adventure, get stolen for another adventure by the Grandmaster. So he's like, from the 20th century, tossed to the 12th century, brought back to the 20th century, stolen for another adventure, mid-adventure. So he's got like three adventures concurrently happening. Do the other ones just pause while he's gone? I assume it's like, I pull you out of this moment in time and I'll return you you to the same. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, to borrow from Doctor Who, wibbly wobbly tiny whiny. Very succinct. He eventually encounters... Oh, during this time, he also wields Excalibur for a while instead of the Ebony Blade. He uh, helps resurrect King Arthur, which they later just stop talking about the fact that King Arthur is awake again, because as we discussed in the last episode, he's just asleep again. Mm. It's just, There we are. Just don't worry about it. He eventually encounters a group of time-traveling Avengers who, on their weird adventure, uh, team up with him to battle the Fomor. I'm not 100% certain what the Fomor are. I know they're part of, what is it, Celtic mythology? The Welsh, maybe? Welsh mythology? I can't remember for sure. Let me uh, double-check that one. Because someone is going to yell at us if we have that wrong. Yeah, Celtic. The Fomor aren't big parts of Marvel mythology, mm. but they are huge parts of Celtic mythology. The Dresden Files is, uses them pretty significantly. The Fomor are a big thing. I just didn't look them up because I have a one-sentence reference for them in this story. That's fair. He is brought back to modern times uh, at the end of this adventure. 
How that works, I'm not certain. Because last I knew, his body was still... Stone? Stone, and he was in the body of his ancestor, Sir Garrington. What happened to Sir Garrington's soul? In some versions, it's just suppressed. In some versions, he already died. And he was just like, he died, this new soul possessed him, and the body kind of kept on going. Not in, like, zombie, but mm. just a different Empty soul. Shot. Now, dead, keep going, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. He will come up again the next time he decides to go on uh, cross-time capers. Got it. Coming back, Whitman has wild trauma from, you know, living through the Crusades. All of them. Yes. Doctor Strange comes to help. He attacks Doctor Strange a lot. We read this story in mm. one of our previous episodes and finds out that the Ebony Blade is cursed. Because the ghost of Sir Percy pops up and says, By the way, it's cursed. We've killed lots of people with it. <laughs> he manages to free the curse, travels back to America, rejoins the Avengers, where he helps out in one of the more epic Avengers runs, including stopping the Masters of Evil after they successfully take over the mansion and almost beat Hercules to death. Hercules is Thor-level powerful, so, like, this is... When it comes to scale, of if we ever did, like, a season on Avengers, this would get an episode on its own. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Dane, he is partnered with Namor. Namor's <laughs> a member of Avengers at the time. I'm just gonna get it out there. It never goes well for you when you team up with Namor. Namor's He's not really a team player. Namor's wife, Marina, who is a water alien creature. Okay. Kind of a fish woman. For some reason, in reasons that I've read this story, and I still don't know why it happened, turns into a giant water snake dragon thing. Okay. Like, giant. Like a hydra? No, like a snake water, water thing. Like, it, it's more of a snake shape than it is, like, a hydra shape. Okay. Like Namor I'm... takes the ebony blade and murders her with it. Okay. I say murder. She did turn into a giant water snake dragon monster like it's it's not like he's like well i'm tired of being married uh but <laughs> see ya <laughs> it'll be fine <laughs> wow but it reactivates the blood curse i wonder why because he murdered his wife and he's like well Oops. thanks black knight you yeah. can have this back now and it starts slowly taking over the black knight he is slowly turning into the same metal as the sword. And he to the point that he starts... Minute, 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 minute. <laughs> <laughs> to the point that he starts having to wear an exoskeleton to... Move? Yes, because he's turning into metal. Can he punch two things? I don't... As far as I know, he keeps the regular power levels, but... Uh-huh. But metal? But metal? Really, it's not working out in his favor. He's slowly turning into a statue again. Mm. Also, it starts messing with him to the point that even touching him will make people bleed. You know, give him a friendly pat on the shoulder and suddenly your hand is all, like, bloody and ragged. And that's awful. Dude, he could hug people to death. Nothing goes well in Dane's life. Like, <laughs> let's just get it out there. He's a punching bag. The Avengers are temporarily disbanded, and Thor goes with uh, the Black Knight to defend Asgard from an invasion by the Egyptian god Seth. Okay. Who tends to be one of the big, we need a god to be evil on attack. He's Seth is kind of the Marvel go-to if you don't want to use Loki. He's the crocodile god, right? No, that's Sobek. Sobek, Seth, Seth, uh, it's a god of the under... 
Got it. I believe asking me these things without me researching them first. <laughs> My Egyptian uh, mythology is not on point. That god of desert storms, disorder, violence, and foreigners. In Egypt, everything mythology. Egypt wasn't wild about. If we're being honest cool, here, cool, cool. After the battle, the con- the curse converts the Black Knight to a statue of stone again. Why stone when he'd been turning to metal? Not really aware of. In a miniseries, and I think the first time the Black Knight had a running miniseries in America, and the one that was like just under the name the Black Knight, mm-hmm. in an interesting change of fate. Sir Percy, the original Black Knight, is brought forward in time to possess the body of Dane Whitman. (laughs) He has a couple of adventures. During this time, he takes a squire in a young, I believe, Scottish man named Sean Dolan. Okay. I like how in this family, you can just body snatch whenever you feel like, and they they, they don't, they're not worried about the repercussions. He's like, oh, yeah, this is my cousin. I'll just run him around for a while. It's fine. Uh, And with the aid of Doctor Strange and Valkyrie, Sir Percy's spirit merges with the ebony sword, canceling out the blood curse again and returning Whitman to his normal state. The Black Knight then begins a relationship with Victoria, who is the woman from the Doctor Strange story we had seen before, Mm -hmm. and takes Sean Dolan on as his squire. Okay. And then immediately kind of forgets about both of them. Is this a squire that he mentions in this run that he lost yes got it this will come up in a moment got it he goes back to america leaving bentley behind leaving sean behind and leaving leaving the ebony blade behind because maybe the cursed sword is a bad idea (laughs) it's turned him to stone twice now basic well only once but still (laughs) like it's made people bleed by touching him and it turned him into metal stone This is the first good idea he's possibly ever had in his life. Mm -hmm. Realizing he's actually a quite brilliant scientist, he basically just builds himself a lightsaber at this point. Whoa. The hell about? Okay. And he joins the Avengers. (laughs) He uh, starts flirtations with two different characters. Cersei, uh, Cersei? Cersei. Cersei of the Eternals. And Crystal of the Inhumans. Okay. But Crystal, nothing ever really goes anywhere because she's technically married to Quicksilver. Mm. I'm going to, uh, I did find out that officially for Marvel, uh, Set is the god of chaos and creation and Seth is the god of evil. Got it. When they're not being conflated together, depending on the author. Yeah. Thank you. The Avengers get involved in a story called Operation Galactic Storm. The Shi'ar and the Kree go to war with each other, and the Avengers get stuck in the middle and get super overwhelmed. After witnessing the Great Intelligence, who is the head of state of the Kree Empire, basically commit genocide, the, uh, I think against the Kree, like, he basically kills off his own people, a group of the Avengers decide, maybe we should go murder him. Yeah. Which, in, like, 1993, when this story came out, was a wild deal to talk about. Like, mm. the Avengers going off and killing someone. Black Knight is the person that does the killing blow. Captain America disagrees with this so violently that he quits the Avengers, and Black Knight basically becomes the field commander for the Avengers at this point. Why is Steve Rogers always quitting? 
usually because the author in the Captain America main book at the time wanted more control over him. That's right. So they had him write him out of the Avengers so he could go, I don't know, drive across the country in a van. That happens a few times. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. Well, I need to go see America. <laughs> but get my roots. You're, you're not wrong. Cap often quits the Avengers when he's like, hey, don't be a d- and they're like, that guy literally committed genocide. And then he leaves, and then he joins, and then he leaves, and then he joins, and then he it's dies. He just die as often as you would think. <clears throat> Captain Britain's died like six times by this point in his history. But he's more of an I we'll get to that one. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to our reading. He becomes much more inv- uh, romantically involved with Cersei, but it turns out that she has been affected by something called... Okay, this is clearly Celtic or Welsh... So I am going to mispronounce it. The Madwirdi, which is M-A-H-D-W-apostrophe-Y-R-Y. Why does that sound familiar? (laughs) I don't know, man. I've never heard of it beyond this. Which is a disease that slowly drives the Eternals mad. Okay. He ends up merging part of his... He basically bonds his, like, mind and soul with her in something called the Ganjosin which I keep trying to call the Gom Jabbar, which is super from Dune and a wildly different thing. But I'm just, if I say it, I just wanted to get it out there right now. The Ganjosen will keep them connected for the rest of time. Okay. The rest of... It gets broken several times. But he, but he has another person he's, like, in relations with in America. Oh, Victoria Bentley back in yeah. Europe? He just... We're good. Guess that ended. Cool. cool Relationships cool. end... <laughs> No, I mean, literally, like, relationships ended. Victoria Bentley was never that interesting in the first place, if we're being honest. She was the rich lady that lived nearby his castle, so it was really easy for her to, like, look after it and, like, be that kind of, like, oh, when he's near his castle, we can use her. Is she the one in the story when Strange comes to the castle? And she's way more in love with Strange? Then, yes. Is that her? That's her. Okay. This makes sense, then. Yeah. They kind of have an on-again, off-again thing in ways that I have, like... They probably should have written a brief breakup scene or whatever. But in ways that I have seen in real life where they break up and then they don't break up. And it's not a big deal. Yeah, it is what it is. Sean Dolan's going to get real mad about it in a few minutes. But I don't know. It never seemed like a big deal to her from what I've been able to gather. Mm. The Avengers keep getting attacked by a group called the Gatherers, who are from an alternate universe. But they're not really sure who the Gatherers are, okay. or their, who their leader, the mysterious Proctor, is. Okay. It is eventually revealed that Proctor is an alternate universe Black Knight who has gone absolutely mad and is traveling through dimensions, killing versions of Cersei, because his Cersei dumped him. Okay. So the Proctor is like angry, t- multiverse traveling incel Black Knights. <laughs> oh my goodness. He travels almost as much as Strange does between dimensions. <laughs> oh, Captain Britain's even worse. We'll get there, my dude. Somewhere around this. Oh, also, Proctor is the one that made Cersei have the mad for thing. Mod Weary. The Mod Weary. The Mad Reeries. The Eternal Madness. Thank you. When Eternals go crazy from being alive eternally. Yeah, from being alive for always. That's fair. <laughs> Had that happen. <laughs> I lost my spot. I'm sorry. I love this. During this time, Sean Dolan, who's mad that his 
buddy Victoria got dumped and that his knight, because he's his squire, just noped off to America, wields the ebony blade, because I guess that's a good idea, and is transformed into a villain known as the Blood Wraith. That's a cool name. Yeah. It Later on, uh, he ends up with Proctor's version of the Ebony Blade, so there's two. Mm-hmm. He later gets the Ebony Blade back. I'm actually going to do a quick... Because dis- we're never going to mention Bloodwraith again if we're mm. entirely honest mm. here. But there's a really amazing story where Bloodwraith is, like, turned giant and is basically, like, giant evil knight attacking this, like beleaguered country that's mostly been destroyed by Ultron and there's no one even living in it anymore. But the Avengers managed to, like, trap him. He can't leave this country. And it was supposed to be, and it was kind of given the signs that this was an ongoing storyline. They would occasionally mention Blood Wraith is still in Slorenia. We haven't dealt with him yet. But then the act, or then the writer left the book. And no one has touched on this ever since. So somewhere in Eastern Europe, Blood Wraith is, like, 300 feet tall, just, just stomping around an abandoned country, being like, <laughs> the Black Knight was so mean to me. He dumped my friend. On a mountainside of a little ways away, the dad's like, and that kid, it's been there since <laughs> I was your age. <laughs> it's been like since the 90s, and no one has touched on this. That's amazing. There's just occasional earthquakes when he like throws a temper tantrum. <laughs> Why? Scarlet Witch manages to trap him within the confines of Slorenia. What? Which is what Sokovia in the Avengers, like in the Marvel mm. MCU, is obviously supposed to be like random Eastern European country that Ultron does bad things to. Right, right. Anyways, going back to what's going on here. Oh, also, Victoria Bentley dies in a ba- three-way battle between Bloodwraith, Deadpool, and the Black Knight. When did Deadpool get involved? Right now, and never again. Well, briefly, later on, but not in a way that we're even going to mention. He gets involved whenever he wants to. This is when Deadpool was first appearing, and he was proving pretty popular, but he hadn't gotten his own book yet, and they were kind of just dropping him into places to see what would happen. That that kind of is his his M.O. now. He just shows up. Mm -hmm. But he also runs his own book now, and was the king of the monsters for a while. Um... Oh, Deadpool. <laughs> Cersei's Ganjosen... No, sorry. Cersei's eternal madness gets worse. And she uses the Ganjosen to temporarily take over the mind of Dane Whitman and force him to battle the Avengers with her. Now I want you to just say Gamjabar instead. <laughs> I'm fine with that. She used the Gamjabar to prove he was a human <laughs> and force him to do whatever she wanted. Oddly makes sense. <laughs> During this time, Proctor attacks. He brings with him a Watcher that he had kidnapped named Ut, U-T-E. Watcher is kind of like, I think we've mentioned before, Uatu. He's a guy that hangs out on the moon and watches. Everything. You know something big is happening when the Watcher shows us up to not just watch. watch. Or to not just watch, yes. Defeating the Proctor, a dying Ut uses his power to open a gateway into another universe where Cersei will be free of the madness to restore and restore her sanity. Mm-hmm. Dane Whitman chooses to go with her. This is where they are transferred over to the Ultraverse. He also immediately gets separated from Cersei when he enters the Ultraverse. Okay. 
He, because nothing good ever happens to Dane Whitman. <laughs> because nothing good ever <laughs> happens to Dane Whitman. He ends up in the Ultraverse where he meets a super team called Ultra Force because they really liked the term Ultra in this comic line. When was it written? 95? I think that was like a huge thing. Plus Ultra. That's my Hero Academia. That's way later, but it's just, it's what I think of. He becomes a member of uh, Ultra Force and begins his search for Cersei. After being tricked by Loki, and from what I can tell, it's the same Loki from Marvel. Of course it is. He gets involved with uh, the Infinity Stones. Infinity Gems is what they're called at the time. Mm -hmm. That have also transferred their way over to this universe. Which is confusing because they're not supposed to function outside of the universe, but whatever. Mm -hmm. There's also revealed to be a seventh Infinity Gem named Ego. It's never mentioned after this. Okay. I guess it is unique to the Ultraverse. The Ultraverse. There ends up being a major kind of reboot event where the Ultraverse is sort of recreated. Mm -hmm. And in this new version, he's still... Dane Whitman from the Marvel Universe, but now he is the leader of Ultra Force. Basically being like, I do not trust you weirdo heroes. <laughs> Some of Ultraverse is really good, but like, their characters were strange. Okay. After various adventures in the Ultraverse, he fights an alien robot named Maxis. Uh, and another interdimensional portal is opened, returning him and the other Marvel characters back to Earth 616, the prime Marvel Universe. <clears throat> Dane returns, not quite sure what's going on, uh, and is accidentally sent back to the 12th century, where he once again uh, possesses the body of Sir Eobar Garrington. His body, or er, his consciousness, is originally buried under Garrington's. Okay. So Garrington's just got two souls, and, you know, Dane's kind of asleep. Just taking a vacation. Cersei convinces Garrington's soul to go on to the next plane of existence, to basically, like, die. Mm -hmm. So Dane can be reawoken. During this time, he ends up in conflict with Apocalypse, okay. like the big X-Men villain who has awoken and is seeing if the world is interesting enough for him. Okay. During this time, he also meets a man named Benu du Paris, who is a mutant, who is a big fan of, or who is... Uh, a, a big fan of Sir Garrington. <laughs> okay. Paris dies, or seemingly dies, during this time at Apocalypse's hand. Apocalypse actually just basically puts him into a centuries-long coma. He will eventually be reawoken by Magneto and become the a pretty big 90s villain named Exodus. Okay. Whitman in honor of the death of his and Garrington's friends, sets up a new order of knights to look after the body of Benu du Paris, which they do until Magneto shows up and wrecks their day. Because <laughs> they're knights. And... and Magneto is Magneto. Yeah. <laughs> Cersei creates another portal because apparently she has the power to, I don't know, do time travel? Never has really... The Eternals have the worst defined power set ever. I'm amazed to see what they'll do in the movie because of this. They're all weirdly OP and yet... Can do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. During this, the Whitman and Cersei are separated in transit, which rips their Ganjosen bond apart. <laughs> Whitman finds himself back in New York, not quite sure where he's been, not quite sure what's going on, and not quite sure what to do with himself. 
where he is immediately summoned by the Lady of the Lake, who reveals that he is the next Pendragon. He's given a new magic horse. Okay. He's given new magic armor, and he is given the Shield of Night, which absorbs energy, energy, and the Sword of Light, which returns that energy in attacks. Basically, he now has Bishop of the X-Man's powers. Got it. And he has, when Link is at full health and swings his sword, the beam comes out. Yeah, pretty much, actually. Cool. Uh, I'm going to say the story that we're talk- about to talk about is possibly the best Black Knight story ever written. Mm -hmm. Uh, We almost did Heroes for Hire here as our read for this one, but I wanted a story with both him and Captain Britain, so we went with Captain Britain and the MI-13. That's fair. He joins the Heroes for Hire, uh, mostly because his friend and buddy Hercules is being a drunken idiot. He's like, I should probably... I should keep an eye on that. Admittedly, Hercules quits the team like three issues later because he's a drunken idiot. And he's like, I should definitely go deal with this problem. But Black Knight hangs out. In his defense, he does offer to go with Herc and Herc says no. He becomes a pretty major member of the Heroes for Hire. Uh, re-meets up with Cersei, but they decide not to become a couple. During this time, he takes on, uh, the Heroes for Hire as a team, mm-hmm. take on villains such as Nitro, who kills Captain America, not Captain America, Captain Marvel. He takes on the Knights of Wondergore and the High Evolutionary. You can kill Captain Marvel? Different Captain Marvel than the one you're thinking of. Okay. There's like six of them. Got it. Okay. Didn't even think of that. Uh, they take on the Deviant General Guar. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. The deviants are like the Eternals, but evil and ugly. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm loving this. Uh, eventually, the Heroes for Hire all disband after a major company buys the Heroes for Hire name and like, all right, you guys can stay on and keep getting paid, but we're going to fire everyone who has a criminal record. So Luke Cage, you're out. And everyone else quits in protest. Yeah, as they should. As they should. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also Ant-Man was fired too. So they were like, Ant-Man and Luke Cage, you're out. <laughs> okay. Which Ant-Man? Uh, Scott Lang. Okay. So the one who's a criminal. Like, yeah. they're not wrong. But, but they also, are wrong. <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> they're not wrong that he is, like, was a criminal. They are wrong of... I don't have time to get into the, like, felon right form. <laughs> We're felon rights. That's a completely different podcast. We're good. During this time, the Avengers set up kind of ancillary teams mm. uh, uh, spaced around the world and actually into space of, like, here's, you know, uh, Star Fox and Photon and uh, Black Knight in case something goes down and we need some Avengers. That's a- he doesn't actually do anything that interesting during this time. He's listening. The only time I can think of that we really see him during this run, he's looking at Bloodwraith, who is trapped in Serenia, being like, we should deal with that at some point, guys. <laughs> he's got and binoculars. they don't. <laughs> they don't. Oh. <laughs> That's still here. At this point, Black Knight doesn't get heavily involved in stories for a while. Mm. Uh, until in New Excalibur, he is approached by Captain Britain. No, he approaches Captain Britain because he finds a drawing of the Black Knight and of New Excalibur dating back to Arthurian times. Okay. He ends up hanging out with Excalibur for a while with Captain Britain trying to get him to join, but he's not really into the idea that much. Mm. During this time, he realizes something is wrong with the Ebony Blade and disappears. Just 
leaves to try to figure out what's wrong with the ebony blade. He's going to go on a quest. Okay. It turns out it's not the ebony blade. The real ebony blade has disappeared ever since Sean Dolan had it as Bloodwraith. This is where I... Why he forgot that this wasn't the ebony sword that he purposely left with Sean Dolan, I don't know. Don't they address this in our series? Kind of. They're like, like oh, it's a for- vampire fang blade. And, and I made you forget. And Wisdom's like, why did you forget? We were literally talking about it. <laughs> During this time, the real ebony blade is found in a nest of vampires in Iraq by a, like, weirdo cult hidden within the Vatican who create their own Black Knight. Mm. Same exact armor and everything. Still calls himself the Black Knight. Is definitely not Dane Whitman. Oh, and attacks Wak- day. And attacks Wakanda. <laughs> Okay. Which is how it gets there, then. Yes. Okay. Whitman goes back to England, helps out in the scroll invasion, joins MI-13. We're going to kind of jump over this story point a little bit because this is our progress thing, and this is already going way longer than I meant it to. Mm. During this time, he ends up in a relationship with Faiza Hussein. It doesn't really go anywhere, but I actually really like it, so I'm still mad about that. Kind of cute. It's also one of the first times where he has a relationship with someone that is on a real level with mm. him, as opposed to, like, I'm an eternal. Got it. I'm a inhuman. Like, it's someone that is on his, like, power level. It's not, you know, 40,000 years old. There is some definite imbalance. We'll just say that for later. After MI-13, where he'll continue to work with off and on, he ends up leading a group called Euroforce. It's pretty much just a different superhero, like British superheroes, or in this case, uh, European superheroes. Mm -hmm. It's like if the European Union had a superhero league. Yeah. Yeah. Why he's in charge, no one knows, because he's not European. Mm -hmm. He'll help off and on, and during this time, he has a clearly deteriorating mental state. As he always does. As he always does. Why is this surprising at this point? But he'd been mostly holding it together up till this point. That's at this cool. point, he's starting to really unravel to the point that when the Avengers expand to a huge team, they go, I think we're good. You're done. You keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Take a vacation. After the universe is destroyed and rebuilt in Secret Wars, uh, Black Knight has largely lost his marbles entirely. Mm-hmm. He has gained new levels of power, and he goes to check with the Avengers, because he's still kind of holding it together. But during this time, he's called into battle, even uh, with the Avengers, as they're talking about letting him rejoin. Mm. But he sort of stabs a villain to death, and then books it. Like, well, we should probably deal with this. <laughs> he escapes to a world known as Weird World, which has a portal in the Bermuda Triangle. Okay. In Weird World is just where, like, all the strange magic stuff happens. It's kind of like the Dark Dimension, but they didn't want to use the Dark Dimension anymore. In Weird World, he becomes king because crazy guy with the cursed sword fits in really well in Weird World. (laughs) You don't say. He goes up against a revived Dr. Druid. And when the Avengers come to Weird World to, you know, take him to prison, he makes a deal with them of, I will stay exiled in Weird World. You do get to take the ebony sword with you. But Captain America, who seizes the ebony sword, immediately starts going insane and gets possessed by the sword because he can't handle it. Dane Whitman manages to take it back and they're like, "Okay, we're not crazy comfortable with this, but you're the only person who hasn't immediately become murder happy with us. So I guess good luck. (laughs) We'll see you never. Don't call. He later returns back to Earth. This poor boy. (laughs) 
during the Secret Empire, where a Hydra-possessed Captain America takes over most of the world, and he resumes leading Euroforce. Whoa! <laughs> That's I don't insane. have time for Secret Empire, man. <laughs> right? That's a completely different season. <laughs> wow. Where he leads Euroforce and the champions of Europe to help out. He helps out during War of the Realms. Mostly just people are attacking in Europe. He shows up. Nothing that important is happening, but they like to mention him every once in a while. War of the Realms is pretty sweet, though. Yes, and we immediately follow into the next crossover, which is not very sweet, which is disappointing. Oh, super, Empire. <laughs> I was so excited for Empire, and it's just not very good. Cross uh, Spoilers for a storyline that has nothing to do with this. But during this time, he reveals to Cap that he's trying so hard to come back to being a superhero. He is recruited by Juggernaut and Conan the Barbarian to help take out a dragon. In the Savage Avengers. That sounds amazing. Savage Avengers is one of the best books on Marvel's slate right now, and it shouldn't be. Nothing about Savage Avengers should work, and I love it so much. That sounds fantastic. Oh, also Magic of the X-Men was there. So Colossus's insane, demon-possessed mutant sister, (laughs) the Juggernaut, Conan the Barbarian, and and Black Knight... Fight a dragon. Why am I recording this podcast with you guys and not reading Savage Avengers? Because you haven't finished the Shang-Chi comic I've lent you. Okay, good point. So the loner list is backed up there, Tyler. (laughs) That sounds like the premise of a D&D campaign. It is. (laughs) Savage Avengers is just Conan team-up. That's awesome. This is roughly where I'm going to start. During the King in Black storyline where the god of the Venom symbiotes... Null Mm. shows up. He reveals to the Black Knight that it turns out that it's not actually a great magic sword. Like, not the pure of heart can use it, but only those who are messed up in the head, and it just brings out more of those worse impulses. Mm. How this works is unknown, because it doesn't fit with anything else we have covered. None of it. But it does create kind of an interesting dichotomy of suddenly the Black Knight's like, oh man, I've been blaming the sword for all of this. But it's it's me. That means Merlin's been lying for a very long time. Merlin's been lying is about the most true sentence we can get through all of this kind of Arthurian legend chapter we've been doing. Mm -hmm. That is fair. (laughs) You can't trust Uh, him. The current Black Knight story is by Cy Spurrier. It is very, it's supposed to be very good. Cy Spurrier is a great writer. I'm not going to go into it because the story is ongoing. And I don't want to be like, well, this has happened, and uh, we'll find out next week. See you. We won't. Check it out. Oh, I will say, he does briefly get considered to become the next host of the Phoenix Force, but it doesn't turn out. Okay. The Phoenix Force shows up and says, I'm going to pick a non-mutant, basically, to be my next people. Sets up a tournament and considers people like Namor, Captain America, Wolverine, who is a mutant, Black Knight... And eventually, Daredevil's ex-girlfriend, Echo, gets it. In a really weird storyline. Hmm. This brings us, oh boy, to Brian Braddock. Nah. <laughs> I unironically love Brian Braddock, but this podcast I was listening to, trying to figure out some of this story, talks about how they keep throwing things at the wall to try to make something stick, because no one is really, like, connected to Braddock. And that's true. He's more of an idea. There's like a, well, they've kind of, we'll talk about it later. Braddock was literally created to be the first hero that Britain, like in the British Marvel UK line, it was an independent creation. 
Brian Braddock possibly has more retcons on him than any other character I can think of. Okay. So there's some really wild stuff that you're like, how does that work? And just roll with it. Turns out that Brian Braddock is the son of James Braddock, who is from Otherworld. Mm. Merlin sends him here specifically, and it is revealed that Merlin has organized all the prior events of Captain Britain's life in an attempt to create the perfect champion for him. For Merlin himself? For Merlin himself. Got it. Merlin's an evil. And Merlin is irredeemable mm. if you like find that this was all on purpose. Braddock uh, has three children. His son, also James Braddock. Mm. And two twins. Betsy Braddock, who will later on become the uh, X-Men known as Psylocke. And Brian. Brian. I love Betsy. Anyway. <laughs> yes. She's amazing. She'll come up a little bit here because she was originally a side character for Captain Britain and no one was using her. So Chris Claremont went, she's mine now. <laughs> um, and now she's Asian. And a mutant. He, that's not Claremont. That's not Claremont. That's, but that happens. That's either Lob Deller and Asaza's fault. Again, other things I do not have time to get into today. <laughs> Brian's parents are killed by a supercomputer that they secretly created known as the Mastermind. Okay. Turns out that was also engineered by Merlin. So, like, seriously, Merlin, what the hell? What are you doing? He graduates with a degree in physics at London's Thames University. Okay. He uh, gets a job working at Darkmoor Research Center, which is attacked by a mercenary known as Reaver, who is trying to kidnap a bunch of nuclear scientists because he wants to do crazy supervillain nuclear things. Okay. Brian escapes on a motorcycle but is driven off of the road and off of a cliff by some of uh, Reaver's henchmen. He survives, and even he's like, I should not survive here. And two people, who are later revealed to be Merlin and Roma, pop up and you're like, you can be a hero, but you have to pick from these two items. <laughs> the Sword of Might and the Amulet of Right. <laughs> so stupid. Bad things will happen. It's so stupid sums up all of Captain Britain's backstory. I'm just getting it out there. Just every, every time we talk, the lack of episodes, Merlin's like, which one you want? <laughs> and he's railroading him the entire time anyway. Yeah, because you know. if you pick the Sword of Might, your best case scenario, your sword is imperiled. Worst case scenario, they just let you die. In more recent storylines, they're finally called out of like, this test is dumb. And so Sometimes when you're being attacked by mercenaries who are trying to steal nuclear fission... The sword might be a better call than the amulet. But in this case, Braddock picks the amulet of right saying, I'm not really a fighter. I'm more of a scientist. I'm a scholar. Yeah. Even though I'm literally picking the thing that will help me again, stop the supervillain from getting nuclear weapons. But okay. He is transformed into Captain Britain in a original Captain Britain costume that has a, Kind of scepter staff thing, which is the main source of his power. It's a pretty fire costume. It's a pretty great costume, uh, but it is not the costume that is generally thought of for Captain Britain. Captain Britain will go on to become the premier captain, or not captain, the premier uh, superhero of Britain. And the British public really immediately are like, this dude is great. Except for the police aren't a big fan of him because uh, Inspector Di Courtney, his wife was killed by a superhero battle. And he's like, I'm going to take down that Captain Britain guy. Well, the rest of Britain's like, no, nah, man, we're good with it. 
Not much of this story is going to be talked about. This run did not last very long, and it wasn't... Die Thomas. Die Thomas, thank you. Courtney Ross was his chick. That's where Courtney came from. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, we'll talk about Courtney in just a sec. Not much of this run is going to get mentioned, but I am going to list some of the supervillains he goes up against because their names are absolutely incredible. The Vixen, Hurricane, the Mastermind Computer, Lord Hawk, Dr. Claw, Dr. Sin, the Highwayman, the Manipulator, the Lurker from Loch Ness. Yes. Nikon, the Black Baron, Slaymaster. Is it Slay like the horse's slay? Or no, like, like slay. Like, you're going to kill people? Yes. Got it. And his, like, I'm the master of slay. And I'm not Got 100% it. sure what his first name is, but it's basically like Murder Slaymaster. Noob Slayer 69. <laughs> and Slaymaster actually ends up being one of the better things. His costume's just absolutely, absolutely awful. But. Ooh, yeah, it is. What? No. It's a basically black tracksuit. What the heck? With a green helmet with a white V on it. He literally got You should up. look it up because what the heck? He woke up late for work, threw that his helmet on because he slept in that tracksuit. <laughs> oh, somebody, somebody needs to update him and do something good with him because it's also mentioning that he's still one of the only Muslim Marvel characters. Oh, yeah. He was one of the first, too. He also stabbed out Betsy Braddock's eyes at one point. What? In one of the most uncomfortable comic pages I have ever read. Oh, my goodness. That will come up a little later. This guy's intense. After the Captain Britain story or comic line gets canceled, he gets transferred over to a new storybook called basically Spider-Man and Captain Britain. Okay. Where he travels to America to go to more university and he ends up rooming with Peter Parker. Peter Parker almost immediately figures out that the new British superhero and the new British roommate are the same dude. Because Spider-Man's smart. But uh, Britain never figures out that uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Even though Spider-Man starts training him. During this time... Uh, Britain star or Braddock. I shouldn't just call him. Br All of Britain starts developing All a drinking problem. <laughs> Not wildly untrue, but <laughs> Braddock begins to develop a drinking problem, but temporarily gets it under control after he realizes he has a problem when he almost beats a supervillain to death while inebriated. Oh, we talked about this before. This will become an ongoing issue for him that he has a drinking problem. And it's actually handled better than most of the like drinking problems in comics are. As opposed to just Tony Stark, who's like, I'm alcoholic, I guess I'm done now, but it'll define me for the rest of time. There's like, the, he falls in, and it's a lot like most people. It's well done. That's the point. Flying back to Britain, his jet crashes. He survives, but he uh, is an amnesic hermit. Merlin brings Dane Whitman forward in time to help revive him and figure it, figure his stuff out. And these two go on adventures together, saving Camelot, going to Avalon, uh, resurrecting Captain, or not Captain, King Arthur, which again, will largely never be mentioned again. And some, oh, fighting a demon lord named Necromon, which is pretty much, I'm 90% sure is an existing Digimon. Mm -hmm. That also <laughs> sounds kind of fun. Uh, and starting to, and gets his new costume, the costume that he is kind of best known for, okay. which has that really awesome 
helmet that he wears. I love that Captain Marvel mm, helmet. Mm-hmm. He starts... During this adventure, he is killed for the, I think, second time. Third time? Second or third time. He's dead again. Resurrected by Merlin. Once this mission is completed, Captain Britain is teamed up with an elf named Jackdaw, who pretty much existed to be, like, the annoying mystical sprite companion. Imagine mixing, like, Navi from Legend of Zelda with a hobbit who can float around. No, it's awful. (laughs) It's real bad. Okay. He is transferred to... Hey, look. Listen. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. He is transferred to a different universe where he meets an insane mutant named Mad Jim Jaspers, who has reality-warping powers. He also meets a mysterious woman named Saturnine, who happens to look exactly like his college girlfriend, Courtney Ross. Saturnine is revealed to be the Omniversal Majestix? Magistrix? She's basically one of the people in charge of the multiverse. Oh, okay. During this time, it's also revealed that he is the Captain Britain of Earth 616, or 616, depending on who you are. Same thing, it's just how you want to pronounce it. And that their Merlin set up the Captain Britain Corps, but purposely did not tell Captain Britain about this. As you do. Because Merlin is off doing his weirdo things. Being evil and not evil. Mad Jim Jaspers is killed by a uh, monster called the Fury. Okay. A, a kind of cyborg thing created. Uh, the All of the Universe 238, which is the universe they both came from, is destroyed. Okay. And another more powerful Mad Jim Jaspers appears in Earth-616 when Captain Britain is returned there... Which leads to a battle, I believe, where Merlin dies. I don't remember if he dies in the earlier one or the later Mad Jim Jaspers. Again, it's later revealed that Merlin faked his death, but I'm just kind of of the opinion that he dies every once in a while because it's good for, like, the back. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, if I could just die and come back and I'd, like, restart my back and, like, my knees. Same. Oh, my goodness. I do it once a week. <laughs> Somewhere around this time... Captain Britain saves a young mutant woman named Megan. M-E-G-G-A-N. Might be Megan. I call her, I've always read it as Megan. I think it's Megan. Okay. Uh, She kind of looks like a weirdo little gremlin thing. Like, hairy and I think has kind of wings at one point, big Mm. claws and stuff. And she has been hidden in a trailer growing up watching BBC. Like, literally her only human contact is television. For years. Okay. Her, she can't control her mutant power, which is why she looks like this weirdo little gremlin thing. Mm -hmm. Brian brings her to live in his manor house because, man, that sucks. After an adventure uh, saving a bunch of mutants called the Warpies, who, similar to McGann, look all messed up, Braddock rage quits and Psylocke, not yet Psylocke, Betsy Braddock, becomes the new Captain Britain. Okay. Slaymaster. Let's be honest, beats her up and stabs out her eyes, causing him to become the new Captain Britain. <laughs> or causing him to return to being Captain Britain to beat her up. That's beat the, him up. Not saying this well. That's the worst first job experience you can have. Oh, it's real bad. I'll be yeah. Captain Britain and then your eyes stab out. This book almost immediately gets canceled, but they're desperate to continue the, continue the stuff. Chris Claremont in, in particular, who's always had affection as he created these characters. Mm. He brings... 
Betsy over into the X-Men during this point. Okay. And he launches a new book called Excalibur featuring Captain Britain, Megan, Nightcrawler, uh, Rachel Gray, the alternate future daughter of Jean Grey and Cyclops, okay. and Kitty Pratt. Nightcrawler's super cool. I'm going to get this out there. Excalibur is not a wildly popular book because it was the weirdo European X-Men book, mm -hmm. but it is one of my all-time favorite comic runs. It's wild. It's absolutely just weird. Okay. And I am so mad that I could not figure out a place to put it in this season. Mm -hmm. Or Captain Britain. I'm like, I'm going to do Excalibur. No, I have to do Captain Britain and MI-13. I love Captain Britain and MI-13. Thinking his... Sister is dead because all of the X-Men are thought to have died. Mm. Brian falls into a drunken stupor. Again. Yeah, he he falls off the wagon. It happens. Especially when you think your twin sister died. Shortly after one of your villains stabs out her eyes. I'm sorry. Like, this is one of the times when I'm like, yeah, dude, like, you should get off the sauce, but I get it. Mm -hmm. You can have the sauce. For <laughs> I understand where the sauce came from. Uh, he is convinced by Megan to join up with Excalibur, but he's never very fond of it and kind of becomes the, like, grumpy sad sack of the group. Okay. He is manipulated into an affair with what he thinks is his college girlfriend, Courtney Ross, but is, in fact, a third version of her from the multiverse. There's Courtney Ross, there's Saturn 9, and there is an evil version of Saturn 9 called... It's basically pronounced Saturnine again, but it's S-A-T-Y-R-the letter nine. Not the letter, the number nine. Mm -hmm. Sat-ear nine. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see him in this because it's only, he's kind of a to his girlfriend. He's got a drinking problem. Uh, it's He's having an affair. Like, I can't think of another time that I see a superhero do this. And part of what he talks about is because Megan has, and it doesn't make it forgivable. Mm. Like, Brian is not a good person during this time. But he talks about the fact that to Megan, he is her whole world. Because she, you know, grew up in a trailer watching BBC until suddenly this dude rescues her and helps her, like, assume her uh, natural form, which is this weird, elvish, hot blonde girl. Mm -hmm. She's obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. She's also kind of interested in Nightcrawler, but it, this podcast I was listening to describes uh, Excalibur's. This book was so sexy. Everyone was having sex or wanting to have sex or like it's just like the, the soap opera elements of superhero books is dialed up to 11 mixed with British whimsy and X-Men superhero or X-Men super fights. Mm, right. It's great. It is eventually revealed during this time uh, when kind of Brian being a d comes to a head, that Roma, the daughter of Merlin, literally cursed him so he will just keep messing up. That's rude. <laughs> because he needs to learn the value of a team. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's literally called, she installs a blunder factor into him. Like, <laughs> You are cursed to make mistakes. And it's stuff like he, you know, okay, goes, Gilligan. He goes up <laughs> against the juggernaut and he's like, I'm fine. I'm Captain Britain. He's been the strongest person, like physically strongest person. <clears throat> he fights in almost everything he does. Immediately gets punched through a wall and like stuck in a, like, he just gets wrecked. 
constantly I like across to Excalibur. Think there's small things that happen too in his daily, like day to day. Like he like tries to pour milk, but he misses the bowl. Or like it's <laughs> one of those things. Like he's very in the wrong in most of the stuff what he's doing. But it's like you okay there, Brian? No, no. clearly Brian is not okay. I'm not having a good time. After this is done, he like basically quits having anything to do with Roma, Merlin, yada yada yada. I'm done. Like he he's went. not. He's not done. Spoiler alert. Not at all. Never done. He is thrown <laughs> forward in time and lost in the time stream until his ally, Rachel Summers, who is also the Phoenix mm-hmm. for large parts of her career, trades places with him. She disappears into the time stream where she will go on to become Mother Ascani and the first teacher of the superhero Cable, okay. her other alternate universe mm-hmm. brother, brother, and uh, Captain Britain is bought back, brought back to the modern day. She's like, here, tag out. Unfortunately, he's been lost in the time stream for a while and is not built for that and is also has died and been reborn about 18 times at this point. And he is not really sure what's going on in any way, shape, or form. He gets a new costume that is absolutely awful. Gross. And he starts calling himself mm, no, don't Britannic. Like, don't like Rumor is this was kind of intended as a joke, making fun of the fact that uh, his sister disappeared, was reborn as an Asian woman now named Psylocke, and became a psychic ninja. <laughs> but no one actually knows for sure. Over time, and with the help of Megan, who has become much more independent with while he was missing, he is uh, kind of comes back to himself and resumes taking the Captain Britain name. He infiltrates the Hellfire Club, which it is revealed that his family has been a member of forever. That's not uncommon. Uh, the Angels family was also a long-term member. If you're a rich, probably kind of crappy person at some point in your life, your family has probably been a member of the Hellfire Club. Cool. During this time, and thanks to his infiltration, they stopped the Hellfire Club from seizing control of England. Uh, he loses his powers. Leaves Excalibur for a while, but comes back for the final few issues to marry Megan. Okay. Whether they were going to get married was a very off and on thing Mm. uh, for this. Shortly afterwards, teaming up with his sister, Megan, and the Black Knight, it is revealed that he is the true king of Otherworld and leaves to go lead the Captain Britain Corps Corps and, well, be the king of Otherworld. Mm. Largely, it's because no one knew what to do with him and he... Mostly disappears from comics during this time. Uh, he offers someone else the Sword of Might Amulet of Right trial. She picks the sword because literally her children are about to be murdered by supervillains. And they're like, nope, that's bad. We'll let you become Captain Britain, but you have to let everyone think you're dead. And like, no one can know you're alive. <laughs> and you can't reveal your face. Why give the... Because Chuck Austin is a very bad comic book writer. Why give the option? <laughs> I don't know. They later call him out really significantly when she appears later and is like, I kind of hate you. He's like, why? And they're like, why do you think? I'll help you. But if you don't do this one thing right, During I'm going to punish you. During the House of M crisis... Brian is separated from Otherworld. Megan is thought to either be dis. To be dead or disappeared. No one really knows what happened to her. Okay. Brian rejoins up with Excalibur as a new team forms, along with Juggernaut, Nocturne, who is an alternate universe daughter of Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch. Nocturne is pretty great. Okay. Uh, and Dazzler, 
who I will stand for for the rest of time. Okay. Give me that disco mutant queen. <laughs> Not the podcast for this. Different season. During this time, they go on various adventures. They fight evil versions of the Captain Britain Corps who all chose the Sword of Might. And Betsy Braddock dies twice that I can think of. Okay. Maybe more. Yes. Shortly after this, he joins the MI-13 during the secret invasion. He is killed and is respawned by Merlin, surprising no one, with new levels of power, but it is now entirely dependent on his confidence level. After his time with the MI-13, he joins the Avengers, where he mostly serves on the secret Avengers team, which is their undercover group, mostly being mad that Hawkeye was being put in charge instead of him. Because he thinks that he's the clear choice for leader. Who wouldn't be mad at that choice? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hawkeye. Uh, sometime during this time... Oh, also Megan comes back in the MI-13 story. We'll discuss that in a moment, so I, that's why I skip past that. Mm. Uh, somewhere during this time, these two create their own superhero academy called the Braddock Academy... Because just no one knew what to do with him. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like the X-Men Academy or the Avengers Academy that was existing at the time. But uh, yes. He works with the champions for Europe for a while. Uh, at one point, he joins a group of rogue Avengers that are trying to stop the world from being destroyed. And he gets his eye stabbed out and he grows a big beard. What's with the eye stabbing? It's nothing good. <laughs> My goodness. This is really the point. Or I'm, I, I, we're going to kind of leave it off because he just does random appearances where wildly different things are happening mm -hmm. off and on. Uh, him and Megan have a kid who even as a baby is super intelligent. Okay. Her mutant power kicks in really early. She's super strong because he's a major part of Jonathan Hickman's Dawn of X story where Psylocke, where Betsy Braddock, no longer in weird Asian body. Mm-hmm. Uh, not weird because Asian, but weird because they gave it to Betsy Braddock. Betsy has become Captain Britain. Mm. He is tortured and kind of forced to steal the sword or just choose the sword of might when he's forced to read. Choose. In. Yeah. Uh, decides not to be Captain Britain because sword of might super dangerous, but eventually does draw the sword, but not in. I don't. I should. I'm sorry. I should stop. She is now Captain Britain. He's Captain Avalon. I would love to have a story. We could do an entire season on Dawn of X when it's done. The the whole X-Men storyline yeah. that's going on right now. What's happening in it? I don't know. It might be some of the most wild stories Captain Britain's ever been involved in. And you literally just heard me talk about all of that. So that's awesome. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. And then we will talk about Captain Britain and the MI-13 by Paul Cornell and Leonard Kirk. Captain Britain and the MI-13, uh, written by Paul Cornell and mostly done with the art by Leonard Kirk, although I know Adrian Alfona also does some, and there's a few others throughout, mm -hmm. but Kirk was the launching artist, so he's the one I was going to mention. Uh, Paul Cornell is probably best known for writing a few Doctor Who episodes, including... Family of Blood, which is the one where the I doctor, it's Family so good, but it's the one where the doctor like hides his identity in human form. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote that as a novel of a previous doctor and they went, you want to write some Doctor Who for the show? And he's like, yeah, I have a story for you. Oh my goodness. Which means in some continuities, the doctor's done that twice. Different story. Oh, which other doctor? Seven. Oh, okay. Oh, it would have been really good. Yeah. But instead he gave us like Tennant's darkest moment. Oh, some of them. 
this story, Paul Cornell, there's some writers that are like, you're just so British. Mm. There's other writers that they have stolen from Britain that they don't, I don't even know how to describe it, right? They don't feel wildly British. Al Ewing's writing is very good. I love him, but I'm not, I, I didn't know he was from Britain originally, and I would not have necessarily guessed. Mm. Al Ewing's British? <laughs> My point! <laughs> or, he's been doing work for 2008, so I bet he is. But uh, Paul Cornell falls under the line of, like, Neil Gaiman or Grant Morrison. Everything this guy writes is super British. You see it here. Uh, almost all of these characters, not all of them are from Marvel UK, but he's only using British-born characters. And even bringing in people that we forget are British, like Blade. That was amazing, because I forgot that, and I love Blade. Everyone. I remember when I was first reading this book, because I followed it when it came out. Mm. I've always been a big fan of this book. And they're like, we're bringing in Blade. I'm like, but that breaks the story. And they're like, no, it doesn't. Suck it, continuity nerd. <laughs> also, don't suck anything. Blade might stake you. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Also, he might just stake you because he's angry. So, several of these characters are either going to come up in later episodes or aren't really involved. But please, if you have questions about literally anything in this book, go ahead. Okay. Part of the reasons I chose this book is, one, both Black Knight and Captain Britain have significant storylines in it. Mm-hmm which is why we're not reading an Excalibur run. Mm. Um, and it also gives us some intros for future things, like vampires mm. and hell lords. And barons. And barons. Hell yeah. Baron Plotka. <laughs> so cool. Who was created for this book, but was retroactively uh, uh, listed as the creator of the, the Mindless, Mindless ones. ones. Yes. Which, to be honest with you, I thought Plotka was an existing character. Like, his design, his everything, I just assumed... Feels older. Mm-hmm. It's very well integrated. Mm-hmm. I guess, first off, what did you think of the... Like, did you have fun <clears throat> reading this book? What did you... I was... In the first part of the book, I was horribly confused. Because it threw characters or characters at you that had no idea... Like, I don't know who Wisdom is. I don't know if he's a wizard or a mutant. 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 That's cool. Mm-hmm. And, like... I had to get used to like the weird lingo they were use- were using because I haven't I don't haven't read anything British in a while, so mm-hmm. I was like, "All right." And so it took me a little while to get into it. Um, and uh, they well, in dropping a book in the middle of a Secret war. Invasion, where the scrolls are attacking, it's an easy way to launch a book because there's a good chance someone will pick it up because they're completionist for event comics. Yeah, but it can make it hard to keep the book going. Like if you're a reader, just jumping in. Whoa, what's Why, going on? What is going on here? Um, but after that, like, after they got through the first issue and they got into the magical world mm-hmm. and they kind of explained what was going on, I was like, okay, I can I can kind of feel what's going on. Um, I like how they just nuked him at the beginning of the book. He just dies. He's like, I'm going to go stop that rocket. He doesn't even get close. He just dies. I mean, he stops the rocket. He just... <laughs> um, he goes boom. <clears throat> <laughs> kind of evaporated. I do love the idea that all of Britain was like, "Oh God, oh that, no." That's why I was. He's more of an idea. It feels mm-hmm. like because he mentions like even Dracula at the end. He's like the British are more in tune with their magic. Like they all know about it. It's like the subconscious thing. And so he's like their whole like connected subconscious is Captain Britain. Like he's just the representation well, of like their better part. Quick thing I want to point out here. I, I don't want to derail from this, but it's just a, a very moment when they're showing the people in Britain feeling his death. I love, love, love that they show a Muslim family 
in Britain because there's a significant Muslim population in Britain. Huge. And I'm not throwing stones. I live in America, but they're not always well treated. No. So having a British author in a British book show them and have them be so quintessentially British that they feel the death of Captain Britain in their bones. That's a lot of Britain in one sentence there. I just, I just love that, but sorry. No. Anyways, given that the, the point of the podcast is to look at the, the way the magic works in the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. Uh, what I was taking from the story, looking deep at that aspect of it, the way it was treated, especially in the first half of the storyline, before we get into all like the vampire stuff, mm. You see that kind of writing around Marvel magic more often when you're talking about, like, gods and stuff. Mm. I think it was one of the easier ways to work in all of the weird Arthurian stuff. Mm. In that it doesn't have to follow the rules of magic of the world at large because it's British magic. And the British subconscious is strong enough that it both creates the rules while like the rules are these rules while you're there, which then kind of permeate permeate outwards. Mm. And so much of um, magic in general is based on belief and belief is informed by what people see. And modern fantasy is based on medieval English archetypes. It you can like that's how they're able to be like this is how it's working right now and it works differently other places but it also kind of means that right now this overrides everything else for the purpose of the story Mm. well and it's interesting i mean for most of its for large parts at least of its existence britain has been a very christian country like uh, you know for for Generation for centuries, that was like the dominant religion. But even through that, Britain never quite surrendered its uh, historic roots when it comes to like magic and lore and legend. There's something so. I mean, look at King Arthur. <clears throat> He's a Christian. He's trying to help Christendom for most of it. He's after the Holy Grail. But there's still the Green Knight, and there's still wizards and lady of the lake and stuff. lady of the lake exactly there's it was my biggest gripe with this entire story is green knight went out like a chump <laughs> he's got his head ripped Nothing off in a second well for him there. <laughs> no they are wildly unprepared i think he went out like a chump like twice <laughs> <laughs> i challenge lee <laughs> let's get it out there about the green knight though the green knight gets chumped a lot yeah he's real cool but i kind of feel like the Green Knight's go-to move is always let them cut his head off at first, and then he pops up and does it to you. But the scrolls, like, cut his head off and, and then messed up magic, and he's like, wait, no! <laughs> um, Rude. Uh, some of the fairies, actually, just some of the early characters we see here are from a pre-existing Paul Cornell book called Wisdom. Okay. That's all about Pete Wisdom, mm. who is a mutant super spy created by Warren Ellis, Really good character for the most part, He's but a professional. Mm. Uh, John the Scroll, who I will never forgive them for killing because I loved John the Scroll. This point blank shot him in the head. Yeah. <clears throat> and they killed the other three Scroll Beatles off panel. Yeah, they weren't even like. <laughs> I have to imagine that when, when we had the reveal of, of Pete mm. in the story, 
that that was a low-key shout-out because he doesn't say, and that, oh, Pete Wisdom, he goes, and Pete. And after mentioning the the other Scroll Beatles, I was like, oh, that's a shout-out to Pete Best. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, this book is kind of a continuation of Paul Cornell's earlier Wisdom series, as well as New Excalibur, which was... He was originally just supposed to take over New Excalibur, but it wasn't selling that well in the first place. Mm-hmm. And he had enough plans to change it up that they're like, all right, just just make your own book. We meet... God, who all do we meet? In this in this first one, we meet uh, Spitfire. Yes. Who is a World War II-era superhero who has super speed and is later turned into a vampire. And she is a vampire. She is this. a vampire. But she has control over her vampiric abilities. Yes. We're going to talk a little more about her in the vampire episodes because she's one of the more prominent. But I just figure I should bring her up because she's a pretty wild concept there. It's crazy. I did have some questions about her, but I can definitely. Oh, no. Ask him. As I said, Um, I just. And then Merlin shows up for like, what, five frames? Mostly to be. Yeah. Merlin had gone insane and murdered most of the Captain Britain Corps and his and daughter. His daughter <laughs> and but he's like he seemed very self-aware about that the whole time in those frames. And then he brought back Captain Britain Britain Wow. Britain. Cap- Captain Britain. <laughs> Captain Britain uh, with some flags and then he was gone. Strange but very visually appealing. Yes. Uh I think the... not immediately gone. He's the voice telling Faisal Hussein to pick up Excalibur. True. I'm sorry, I interrupted you here. Um, now, things I will say things got interesting again when Faza ended up getting Excalibur, but one of the bigger letdowns was the implication for all of an issue that Captain Britain was Arthur come back. Oh, at the very beginning? It does sort of feel like that, yeah. Because he's coming back at... Britain's greatest hour of need, using the very last bit of British magic, being formed by a bunch of Brit mm, British flags coming together, wielding Excalibur, and then he gives it away next. I'm like, but that means he's Arthur, right? It has to be. You know what bothers me? They treat the sword and the stone and Excalibur as the same, same. sword, and it's not supposed to... And I get that that's a really confusing part of Arthurian legend, but... That's the well actually nerd in me picking up. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the, I like how the scrolls didn't last long. Yeah, Secret Invasion wasn't a great crossover. The villains were really forgettable because they were nameless. Although scrolls, I like their their leader. Look, the the whole Doctor Strange getup he had for like a, a little bit there. That was Strange pretty cool. Looking. And some Ghost Rider stuff. Yep. And I was trying to identify all of them, and I didn't get. Uh, there is a scroll villain known as the Super Scroll. Mm. Who has the powers of all of the Fantastic Four? The Super Scroll. It was Stanley and Jack Kirby in the sixties, man. Uh, That's amazing. His real name is Clert. That's even better. <laughs> Stick with Super Scroll. <laughs> he does. Uh, and this one, they were like, "All right, well, we've made one Super Scroll. Why are we just staying with that? Let's just make a bunch of them." And just, I imagine someone just rolling a D four with like a whole list and being like, "Uh, uh." That one. Ghost Rider and Angel of the X-Men and, I don't know, uh, Iron Lad. Like, well, that's kind of what I was doing. During most of those battles with the Skrulls, I was like, 
okay, which powers are they using? Because they mentioned them being super scrolls, not normal scrolls for a mm. lot of the battles. And I was like, okay, who's who? <laughs> it was fun for that, but it really quickly, because this event went on for several months, mm-hmm. and I was really quickly like, well, I'm done. <laughs> like, Did, was, what's the other world called? Is it just called Otherworld? Otherworld, the, yeah. Otherworld. Uh, did they ever get those relics back that the scroll just melted into a magical chain? I kind of got the sense, and this is a complete, like, don't worry about it right off, that when Captain Britain was restored and pulled Excalibur and defeated Super Scroll, Super Magic Scroll, SMS, uh, <laughs> that, that it all kind of just... That it, it kind of reverted. Okay. Because magic seems to be back, Oberon, King of the Fairies, who looks way cooler than, like, I usually think of Oberon looking, is off doing his thing. Pete has pretty much opened up Pandora's box because he let out Merlin. But then you also see Satanish shortly after, a major hellboard. You You see... That's the dark dimension he opened, right? That door was to the dark dimension. I've never thought of it that way, but it could kind of work. And And others. All the source of all evil. Yeah. It kind of fits in the same way of like Thor being like, my father created Earth. And they're like, but we have, but no. And they're like, that happened too. <laughs> well, and it's like, okay. I think somebody mentions that when the door was open, they saw a few different like planes of reality flash by. Mm. Dark Dimension is definitely one of them. And then um, did you notice that later on, even when like the Hell Lords were brought up by name, there was like a panel of Dormammu and yes. Clea? Yeah, I saw Clea at the bottom right of it. <laughs> Clay has been in charge of the Dark Dimension a few times. It is an offshoot of Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the comics. This is later on, but that's okay. I don't care about jumping forward in this section. Uh, that Dormammu is listed as a Hell Lord, and that's often really Vague. unclear because in several versions he's like a father or a grandfather of the beings that become Hell Lords, mm. as opposed to a Hell Lord himself. But honestly, they're on a similar enough power level that you might as Why well. Not? Like, Plus his head's on fire all the time anyway. Yeah, look at him. The dude's a demon. And he's a jerk. <laughs> there you go. Don't move. Pete, Pete knew Starfire or Spitfire was vamped, right? Yes. What a jerk for putting her and Blade in the same room together and then getting mad at him. Honestly, Blade's yeah. going to blade. It's like shark's going to shark. Blade's going to blade. <laughs> It was one of those that you really didn't think that one through at all, but like, well, I need help for someone who deals with like weird magic stuff. Blade's a good one for that. And I think people kind of forget that she's a vampire because it so rarely comes up. I mean, she got her super speed powers from getting a blood transfusion from the robot human torch. Mm hmm. Just let all of that roll over you. Yes. Just all of the perfection. I love this podcast so much because I get to say things like that. You do know in the first comic, though, you do see that she is a vampire because she's she does mention I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And then she rips out that squirrel's throat mm-hmm. and she's like, great, let's go. It becomes a, it's becoming a more common thing when they use her to bring about the vampire stuff. It was originally a way to de-age her. Because her family was cursed by barren blood. Like, barren blood was part of the family line, I think. That's why her name has meaning. Because she brings up her name to Blade, and Blade's like, oh. The Fallsworth family. And I know yeah, that. 
and that's why her son later on, who we see in the third arc, takes on the Baron Blood persona. <laughs> and honestly, the the Roger Stern, John, not John Romita, um, ah, f- I can't think of his name. But honestly, the there's like a big Roger Stern run where Baron Blood and we see Jacqueline Fallsworth when before she becomes a vampire is one of the greatest Marvel comic stories of all time. Mm. Uh, Baron Blood himself, like when her son becomes Baron Blood, he's just kind of a goofy doofus. He doesn't really work. The, what was the middle part? Oh, uh, with the Baron of Hell. So, Plotka. They mention the reason he's turning or trying to turn Earth into a factory is to take Earth out of the game, but he never mentions in what capacity, like what are we doing that would then make us dangerous to need to be taken out. Well, we've beaten Hell Lords about 18 times at this point. But that's because they keep coming here. <laughs> We're not, like... Uh, hell, I mean, uh, Earth seems to stand in the way of, like, everything. Mm-hmm. So, by reputation alone, like, you probably just want to get rid of Earth. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen this meme that was floating around the internet with the idea that humans are space orcs. They're like... Orcs, we re- orcs, 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 we orcs. reproduce Divorce. wildly. We can heal from a surprising amount of things. It's so uh, It's surprisingly difficult to kill us and we're always putting our noses where they don't belong and killing each other and getting stronger yeah yeah like this is the world where Yao has existed for thousands of years and Doctor Strange is like recreating the universe every other week and who knows what's happening with Thor like people come up with one of two ways either I want to rule the earth because they're nuts and they'd be super helpful or Mm. let's just let's just be done who was that super soldier that committed suicide? Captain Midlands. Okay. He was created in the um, Wisdom series that I was mentioning before. He mm. was... They brought back everyone from that series who was alive at the end of it somewhere. John the Scroll, Tink, Oberon's daughter, Captain Midlands. He's... Uh, the Brits had a couple attempts to make their own super soldier, like Captain America. They made Captain Midlands. He was one of their more successful attempts. But he is kind of the representation of, like, crappy old British men. Mm-hmm. He was intended to be the person who's like, I'm here for Britain and we'll fight for it, but also uh, stands for everything that's kind of wrong with Britain. I was going to say, is time. he... Is, is he Britain's John Walker? Sort of, or I was thinking Ultimate Captain America, okay. where he's kind of like... I'm supposed to be a representation of this country, but really, the more you get into it, it's more the, like, the flaws and all of the bad points of a country. I wasn't crazy about, like, Pete giving him a gun and being like, kill yourself before trial. Which I thought was extreme. Like, That is real dark. Can you blame him for wanting to see his wife, even if it was fake? And then he ruthlessly kills his wife, even though she's fake, in front of him, and then tells him to go kill himself. Like, Pete Wisdom is not a good man. No, he's not. He is, uh, he's sometimes treated as a joke because he is a weird, drunk, mutant soup secret agent that has tried to quit several times and is like forced back into it. But he is also almost more than Nick Fury, Marvel's James Bond. He came across that way. He was, also, if you have a spell just to get rid of the alcohol out of your system, maybe that's a sign you drink too much oh, too often. Oh, he drinks far too much. I mentioned Pete Wisdom in last episode where he gets very drunk, tries to seduce 
Guinevere. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then she. <laughs> and then Lancelot goes no. and comforts her because he was being such a. a <laughs> Oh, no. And starting the, like, most famous affair in theoretical history. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Pete Wisdom is not a good man. Also, when their car got bombed by the the vampire bullet guy that got shot out of the moon. Yeah, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it only Captain Britain's uh, lady friend that got dismembered and not the other girl? Real answer is plot device. Uh, I'm going to go with she was hit directly while... Uh, Even the driver blew up. I don't know, man. Maybe uh, the other Dude, one was behind... Heart explosions are weird things, man. <laughs> I mean, it, actually, there is truth to that. There have been people who... Uh, a car crash happens, the person in one seat's fine, and the next seat over is just like... It is horrifically destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and that's real life. <clears throat> I'm going to make the argument that, like, the uh, the ones that survived were on the other side of Captain Britain or something. So I don't. Okay, he was I, in the very back and the driver's in the very front. He's fine. <laughs> and she dies. I don't know. Explosions are weird <clears throat> things, man. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I got nothing. Especially um, when a vampire bolt's involved. Oh, my goodness. I do kind of enjoy the bit where Pete Wisdom is like, taking her out to show her the vengeance and she's clearly like yo what the hell <laughs> <laughs> like she's scared wisdom is not even necessarily wrong of we probably shouldn't allow any vampires in britain mm. but also he's an but yeah he's a bad dude he's like i did this so you don't have to and then she's like freaking out the entire time he's like what's wrong champagne yeah (laughs) she's like get away from me but it actually kind of makes sense if you live your life in the darkest of the dark because he he was in like some of the worst black ops groups and then left them because they were too dark and went to war with them instead oh my goodness yeah uh i do like how blade had the machete sword or a paper mache sword, <laughs> like oh, old Bible cool. bits, yeah. just to cut through the. Look, of if hell. you're going to be going against anything vampire or hell, get Blade on your side. He knows what's up. I don't know if that's a pre-movie Blade thing because I tend to think of Blade as using technology more than anything else. You know, he, a, he, a sword sharpened to like a nano point is a very like. And it's something that they move. commented on mm-hmm. a few times through this, where they're like aren't you more of a gadget guy? And he's like, yeah, but I'm having to adapt because look at what we're going against. Like, Mm -hmm. I have all of this knowledge of what you need, though. Like, I like it when we get to see some of the more uh, classic sides of Blade, Mm. of the stuff that they mention, like, Quincy Harker briefly as he's my old buddy who got killed. We're trying to get his skull kind of thing. Mm. He was a major character in Tomb of Dracula, which we will cover in later episodes. Is that a better Dracula? Is that a better Dracula? It's... <laughs> All right, let's talk about this. Because you a... mentioned before, what is it you don't like about this Dracula? Because this is one of my favorite depictions of Dracula that I think I've ever seen. How did he get to the moon? We'll start with this. How, why, how and why is he on the moon? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, no, that's dope. But that's, like, next to the area that kills you. <laughs> like, the thing that kills you is next door to you at all times. And you have to de- he has to depend on that sorceress to keep that protective barrier around there so all his broodlings don't melt when they go outside. Yeah, but he could also just go hang out on the dark side of the moon, like, when he's prepping, when he doesn't need to just go onto his base there. 
Dracula is big time energy in Marvel. They don't use him a ton, but I mean, you see him interacting with Doctor Doom basically as equals. In his mind. Doom calls him out for being a weird racist. <laughs> but and <laughs> the they're not sentence. wrong, and we'll get to that in just a second. But the fact that Doom even went there to talk with him in the to first talk place. with him shows that he is a serious power player. Of course Doom treats him like he's a lesser. Doom treats God like he's a lesser. Yeah, that was a given. Doom, Doom, Doom. sasses Galactus. Like <laughs> Doom. Doom, The fact is, that Doom showed up for the one-on-one, though, he's shows got Doom's how, respect. Yes, shows how big Doom is. Now, Dracula, there's like three or four versions of Dracula in the Marvel Universe, and they're always the same person. They're just really unevenly treated. Mm-hmm. There's this Dracula... That's kind of the classic hammer horror, Christopher Lee, not quite Bella Lugosi, but like following some of that same theme. Dracula. There is a Dracula that is a combination of anime was really big around 2007 to 2015. I mean, it's still big, but Mm. like that's when comics were starting to be like, oh, maybe we should take some of this. They're wildly outselling us. As well as someone who was drawing it clearly was a big fan of the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie from the 90s with... Uh, uh, with Gary Oldman. With Gary Oldman yeah. and, like, the big red armor thing. Mm-hmm. Because Dracula starts hanging out with, like, old school big red armor and, like, white hair that goes into a big ponytail. That's like, awesome. And then there's, like, weird old Nosferatu, uh, gross, wrinkly Dracula. Mm-hmm. I like Hammer Horror Dracula, but that's just because I'm a sucker for it, and that's what he would have looked like in the Bram Stoker stuff. So if you're going to play with the Bram Stoker Dracula, play with the Bram Stoker Dracula. I like, like how he looked. I just had issues with some of the way he acted. Okay. Well, like like what? So I like how... It sounded very accusational. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> so it they do mention that he's like a tactician. He's had practice basically forever mm-hmm. to do this, and he's brutal while he does it. So like... You get that feeling. He goes in, he steals the father, and he like beats the crap out of the mom. And then like there's just he's brutalizing everyone just because he can to show that hey, I can do this to you. Now we're gonna fight. Just kind of get in the head of everybody. I don't like how arrogant he was at the end. That's the only reason he lost. I mean, isn't that like most supervillains though? I mean, Thanos loses almost always because of his own arrogance. But I feel like he was built around that because that was like the, that's the pin they use. Because he like he's almost a god, at some point, and so like of course like how are you gonna get and in mythos you a lot of people beat gods through their arrogance so that kind of made sense, like you just outsmart the god or you, they're arrogant and you play that against them. He's not a god. He's just a really old being. To be honest with you, I think that this was Paul Cornell critiquing British imperialism. That's fair. Because he's very old school European. I mean, he's straight up white power in Mm -hmm. this. And I actually kind of liked that. uh, Not obviously bad. I I liked things I have to say very carefully. Uh, (laughs) I I liked not romanticizing like old school imperialism. I liked not. It's so easy to be like, he's Dracula. He is a weird murderer who gets trapped in castles a lot, but there's something. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big vampire fan, that's just fair. as a general thing. Mm. So uh, there's something about vampires that's like, 
weird rich people stuff mixed with some strange fetishism and a lot of like power control that just doesn't speak to me. So having this be a large critique of all of those things and showing them as kind of the flaws in Dracula mm. did speak to me. I can see how they're like, Dracula, literally everything that's going wrong for you is your fault. I get that. That is a pretty fair critique. Mm. But I think it had more to do with how Cornell wanted to like poke holes in something that's a real problem in Britain that like, we were the empire. We've never quite gotten rid of, over being rid of it in the same way that America is dealing with its own stuff mm -hmm. right now. I was going to say my bigger problem with uh, Dracula in this is that there wasn't any actual story reason why it had to be Dracula or vampires. Mm. You could have just replaced with Namor or Dr. Doom or any villain who's reasonably smart. They could have just continued with the demons. But, and then I'm not like, it's not like a big, like, I like seeing vampires and like, that's a good enough reason. It's just that there's no reason within the story that like, like there was nothing special about them being vampires that like did anything to change their plans to bring it to the table. That's fair. I think it had like from a behind the scenes thing, I think it had more to do with the fact that the original tomb of Dracula took place in London mm -hmm. and Paul Cornell was doing everything he could to use as many British characters as he possibly could fit into this book mm. whether they were written by brits or written by americans but took place in britain in britain i should also say that final storyline suffered from the fact that he was clearly told that the book was going to get canceled partway through mm. but they were kind enough to give him time to wrap up as much as he could and he does a really good job actually of wrapping up most of the extant storylines and I always appreciate when Marvel's like, all right, we're going to end this book, but we'll give you 10 issues to wrap up or five, however many, as opposed to just, you're done. But it does make those final ones very stuffed. Yes. There's a lot that happened in the last two issues. I was actually confused how it was going to end that quickly. Because we you get to what, like issue 13, and it looks like they're just going to lose. And I realized that there's only two more issues, like... <laughs> Time to wrap this up, kids. Time um, to bring it home. Other than that, I did, I did enjoy the panel work for that those final issues, especially when. <laughs> I don't when, know if that was still Kirk drawing at that time, but I love Leonard Kirk, so I hope so. But like Wisdom's having that picnic with that that scar, poor, that, traumatized woman. She's scarred for life. There's no way she does. She goes home and she just cries in the shower for like the rest of the night. That's like what, that's what happens after. <laughs> if that. it ends at the rest but, of the night, that's going really well for her compared to what I was assuming. But, but like he flippantly's like, "Oh, I invite him on Earth, the the father, but I don't invite anybody else." And then you just watch him smash <laughs> into mm -hmm. that wall and die. Also, it's a brilliant way to like. Mm, that was pretty cool. That's pretty I cool. That was pretty cool. Yep. I do have a slight critique of they wrapped up two different storylines of just Pete making a deal somewhere so no whoever can enter uh, Britain. Because that's how they take the scrolls, too. No scrolls are allowed, like, are able to step foot on British soil. Mm. Mm -hmm. and then, Although I thought the no more scrolls was a pretty cute little callback to... No more mutants. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a storyline I hate much less than No More Means. <laughs> much less. What else? What else? What else? 
I felt like I had more questions, but now I don't remember them. Oh, oh. yeah, because now we're recording. That's how it works, my dude. Yeah. Uh, the relationship between Blade and... Um, Spitfire. Spitfire. Lady Jacqueline Fallsworth, if that's easier for you. <laughs> Jack. That's such Jacks. a... Jacks, yeah. That was a interesting thing to see happen. Um, I really liked it, and it was never used outside of this, and really? I thought that was too bad. One of my favorite scenes of this entire series is the bit where they're hanging out in the bar and he's being like the kind of broody punk that blade is and everyone calls him out and he's like yeah okay you got me <laughs> like <laughs> sorry i try not to be a superhero but i hang out with superheroes all the time and like the way i deal with it is by being a broody i also like the the scene where he and uh Britain are in the room with the soil and they're like desecrating all the vampire tombs. And then he goes and stakes <laughs> the sun. And he's like, oh, yeah, you that's guys, not, that's not Britain. That's, um, union Jack. Yeah, that was union oh, union Jack. Jack. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you guys deserve each other. <laughs> he walks out. <laughs> well, union Jack dated Spitfire. Oh, really? Let's take a second on this one. Union Jack was buddies with her, uh, son to mm. a point that they were like, brothers Um, she did not like him at first because he was kind of a you know the punk trouble kid in college mm -hmm. while his her son was you know proper british aristocracy future inheritor yada 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 her father was the original union jack her i think brother was the second one and it was kind of assumed that her son was going to take on the title when they needed a union jack Mm -hmm. but he this is going to sound mean, but he was too much of a coward to do it. That's fair. Bitch. I would be too. Dress up as a flag and fight a vampire? Yeah, man. Like, I'd have some issues with that plan too. that name sucks. <laughs> Didn't know I was going to end this podcast with a fist fight, but uh, <laughs> I'll dress up for it. <laughs> as Union Jack. Um, but... Uh, his buddy does end up taking on the job and becomes a pretty good agent in his own right. Mm. Later on, she's turned into a vampire, becomes young again. Her son becomes Baron Blood. And when she's young, she ends up in a relationship with him, which is a little odd to me. There's this... It's not just a comics thing. It's a media thing of Mm -hmm. like, this person was old and now they're young again. Let's have them date someone far too young for them and probably somehow connected to one of their children. Well, when you have them date somebody the proper age, though, you end up with the end of what we do in the shadows with Taika dating Mm, the 80-year-old, which is amazing, but (laughs) it's also it's also ends up becoming a comedy scene, whether you want it to be or not. I get it. I think it's the fact that it's usually like, oh, you were my kid's best friend, but he died, and now we're going to, like, bang in sadness together. Yes, I put that as terribly as I could. Yeah. Um, And that's what I think I have issue with. Not a huge issue. They're going to go bury that grief bone. (laughs) Jesus Christ. No. No one is visually aged way too young. No one is... It's just... Like, it's not problematic to me. It's just a trope that I am not, in this version at least, it's just a trope that I'm not wild about. Okay. Does Blade have robot hands? He has one robot hand. So that's why he mentions it for a single frame and never comes back to it. Uh, sh- during the Civil War crossover, there was a storyline 
where his hand gets cut off. Got it. And he gets a robot hand. Because he gets out of the car, he's like, man, I hate the rain. It messes with all the mechanics of this. And then he walks in and we never hear about it well, again. Well, they're not in the rain the rest of the comic, are they? <laughs> That's true. Well, <laughs> no one really wanted him to have a robot hand. Uh, there was the series. Him was least of all. <laughs> <laughs> the series was written, I think, by Mark Cunningham. A, uh, a pretty prolific comic creator, but one I'm admittedly not a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And it's why that's not the series we're doing. Like, it was in the running for which uh, series we were going to do for our Vampire Hunter episode. I'm not a huge fan of that author, so a different one won. But uh, he seemed to like the idea of, I'm going to cut off this person's hand and give him a robot hand. It's a popular comic book thing to do. And I've never once liked it. I'm going to cut off your hand and give you a a robot hand that turns into a gun or whatever. It doesn't work. It's only worked one time in history, and that's when Piranhas ate Aquaman's hand, and he just stuck a hook on it. I was going to say, it's more interesting when it's not just a hand. Or, like, when it's a hook. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, like, if it's a hand that can turn into something, then that's boring, because it's a hand. But, like, if it's, you're like, I'm Blade, so I'm just going to go with the steak hand. I like it better than a gun hand. I mean, and I... If I had the choice, I want the one that turns into a hand, like the robot hand that turns into a weapon as opposed to just, like, there's one uh, from Old School Guardians of the Galaxy where it's just, like, most of the time it's just, like, a spiked mace head okay. and he just wanders around with, and, like, <laughs> that has to be actively awful. That's like, awesome. just imagine trying to deal with that in a day-to-day situation. Oh, my goodness. I well, kind of want to try it. And I just love the idea. The reason I do like ridiculous situations like that is because I just love the idea of like Blade meeting up with some of these other characters and just like staring daggers at like Bucky's arm the entire time. <laughs> like <laughs> Blade's actually recently joined the Avengers, and I'm like, that's mm-hmm. dumb. And then I read it and went, this is awesome. <laughs> I like Blade. Uh, I like Blade a lot. I don't traditionally think of him as a... Uh, as Wesley Snipes? Well, I was going to say a teen guy, but... Oh. No, uh, he, he reminds me of Van Helsing Oh my god, I'm so much happier to have my Herschel Ali taking on the job instead of... After the stories you guys have told me, <laughs> I'm really excited to watch those movies. <laughs> I love Wesley. <laughs> it's going to be great. First one's good. Second one's good. Third one exists... I'm starting with the third one and going back to watch the first one. Oh, that's a bad choice. I know. That's why I'm doing it. (laughs) Third one is a uh, great audition reel for Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. Really? Yeah, he wears red, I think, and he pretty much just plays Ryan Reynolds. And he's a merc with a mouth. Okay. Um, Any last thoughts, questions on Captain Britain and the MI-13? I think I know why Merlin likes um, wisdom. is because... They're basically the same person, just one is magic and one's a mutant. Yeah, they're both <laughs> bad people Which who are pop- trying to do... They're very greater good characters, so a lot of times I don't have a lot of patience for them. But... I wouldn't... Yeah, I mean, I w- when I think greater good, I don't think of Merlin. I think Merlin's just an old guy who's really bored. <laughs> and he has a lot of power. And <laughs> But, I mean, he does stuff... Also, He's like... maybe dead. Or not. Or not. <laughs> We went into this. <laughs> he he does do stuff like, wow, Britain's really going to need Captain Britain, and we need 
Captain Britain. Not weird questioning things have gone bad. We need him at his best mm. because Plotka's coming, because Dracula's coming, because all the other things that are happening. Mm. So we, so, I mean, he does it in a really nasty way, but, well, we need Britain or Captain Britain. Okay, I will build him from the ground up. He also, but I feel like that's just because that's his, that's his source of magic. That's his realm. And if that goes away, then he goes away. So why not? Of course, he's going to defend it. Well, there's also that. But I mean, I guess I can see your argument for sure. I think in a lot of cases he tries to do. He's just chaotic. Yes, but in a like. I think this is a why not both. It's very, I think that's actually the best answer. He does want to save the world, but he also wants to be the guy in charge. Not in the same doom way of I'm going to conquer everything, but I think Merlin just likes the idea that he could. Yeah, I can see that. Just sitting in his kitchen, he's like, oh, I could, I could totally just, but I won't. <laughs> I wish Faza would get more time in the future. We've gotten bits of her. She appears. I love her power. Uh, and I love her with Excalibur. I love everything Super about cool. her. She, whenever MI-13 appears in the future, it's mostly Wisdom and Faza. Mm. She takes her else kind of goes, yeah, she's, uh, I think they're just kind of waiting. What happens to her dad? He's her dad. He's a vampire now. Cool. Oh, oh, what about the Heart of Stone? It's never expressly said, because the Heart of Stone only exists in this story. Mm. But it's heavily implied, because he said an old girlfriend gave it to him to help off. That's probably Cersei, the Eternal, who turned his heart into a heart of stone to keep him from... Uh, Going crazy with the fake blade? Or the real one, in both cases. Uh, he also mentions that she has forgotten him, and that's because shortly before this, Neil Gaiman ran a storyline where all of the Eternals lose their memories and have no idea that they're the Eternals, let alone, like, her relationship with him. Dane. Yeah. So there's a good chance that he showed up being like, hey, Cersei, I got stuff going on. She's like, who are you? I'm just a party planner now. And he's like, well, this sucks. <laughs> um, I do like the bit where he's like, fine, fine. I will, like, I will die fighting. Sure, my squire is, like, random, large, and angry in a different country. <laughs> and... Most of my girlfriends have died and the other one has amnesia or something. And like uh, his moment where he does show emotion there, because he and often he says in this, he's like, I've got a heart of stone. I'm not feeling anything. <laughs> Bullpucky. He is. He feels everything through this. He's just trying so hard to pretend not to. And I get why he's trying to keep. But also he does keep both sorts. It was kind of a running theme for a while. He is addicted to swords. Well, <laughs> I, yes. I mean, specifically to the ebony blade, but also to swords. Yeah, he just loves being cursed. He's one of those characters that takes on the curse so no one else has to. And eventually you're like, let someone else do it, man. Done. <laughs> like, and then the scene where she'd stop them both from dying from that falling out of the sky was super cool. She's like unassembled and reassembled themselves in like in a split second after they hit the ground real hard. Her powers are one of those that if she like really got a hard level of control over it, she would be the most terrifyingly powerful mm -hmm. 
character in the Marvel U. I mean, she took those scrolls apart, didn't kill them. She just disassembled them so they couldn't move Ooh. anymore, and then she left. Like, they're still there. My main thought <laughs> is that, like, just imagining poor Leonard Kirk reading that and being like, you want me to draw what? <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, like the deconstructed Black Knight. Like, just yeah. imagine having to visually assemble that. It's crazy. And he's fine with it, too. He's not for you. He's like, hey, can you put me back together now? He has been through some stuff at this point. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even phase him. He's like, oh, cool. Thanks. I think that's... Unless you have all questions, I think that's all we have for this week. Okay. We have some announcements for some upcoming yeah. weeks. Because we all have to work for a living. Someone should give us a lot of money so we don't. But that's unlikely to happen. Please and thank you. Uh, <laughs> please so much. Uh, uh, basically, getting three people into the same room at the same time is proving increasingly difficult here. So we will be taking a break with Marvel Magic here. And our friend Steven will be becoming a new subject for a while uh, if you listen to General Nerdery, you've heard Steven several times. If you've listened to Word Balloons, you hear Steven almost every episode. And we will be taking a break and diving into DC magic. Going over the Distinguished Competition. I love that they use that in all of their letters. We will be finishing the Marvel magic stuff. We will be fitting in recording episodes with our Mackenzie here where we can over time. We just need to build up a backlog again. So we will be doing stuff. But when we say your reading for next week is Neil Kamen's uh, Books of Magic. And you're like, well, that is... That is not that's Marvel. That's not right. It's because... We're... Technically going to be, because I'm going to have it split off as season two. Yeah. It's so, just not going to be approached the same way as we were originally approaching seasons. One thing I'm kind of realizing that we didn't, it, there was no way to really quite understand how this was going to work until we did, until we started making this, is how much these really are separated into chapters. Mm. So we're just going to bring in some chapters of season two while we prep the next chapter of season one. And we should probably pick terms other than seasons, but uh, here we are. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, I think that covers it. Mac, we'll see you when we see you, which mm. is hopefully soon. Hopefully. Because we nice. have some magic and some witches to read about and watch. But until then, we're going to have magic and probably some witches Definitely to read witches. about to watch. Probably not as quick. <laughs> um... We will uh, not be having a chapter next week. Yeah, so next time, uh, as we make this transition, we won't have something on what would normally be our upcoming. Mm -hmm. And then we'll start in on the DC side. We'll get back to Marvel side, as we were just talking about. I don't need to rehash all that. Yeah. So when we come back, which is about a month from now, Neil Gaiman, Books of Magic, so good. Uh... And that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the yearly game of croquet will start soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. 
As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.